taking time to pray uh, for one another and with one another. If you want to grab your Bible, you could use that, or if you want to get your Bible app ready, um, we're going to be diving in here in a minute. All of the scriptures are on the screen uh, today, but if you want to look them up on your own, uh, just to make sure that uh, they're there, uh, I welcome you to do that. And so don't take my word for it, take his word for it. But we've been in a series, if you've been with us, on Church Matters. And that kind of a play on words that church matters in the sense that church is important, it matters, but also church matters as in the things that pertain to the church. And um, I don't know if you know this, but church is kind of flawed. Um, It's not perfect, but it is his bride. And uh, I know a lot of people in our day and age that are walking away from church and trying to serve Jesus uh, without church. That's not possible um, because he's the head of the church and you can't serve a head without a body. And uh, for all of its warts and all of its flaws, I love the church. And, um, you know, it's it sometimes frustrates me uh, as it does you, not you specifically, but just church. Sometimes the body of Christ can be frustrating. um, But I know this. Sometimes I can be frustrating. Thank you for not amening. <laughs> Maybe you did online. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But um, I just want to encourage you to, to connect to the body of Christ, whether it's this body or wherever you live or uh, wherever you need to, but you need to connect to a body of believers. Uh, I believe that's throughout the scripture. Um, and as we've talked about, church is not a building. It's not a program. It's not a worship service. It's not a denomination. Church is a kingdom community carrying out the mission of God. That's what church is, and none of us can do it alone. As an individual believer, you can have an encounter with God. Um, You can have success in your relationship with God, but none of us can fulfill God's complete plan for this world by ourselves. It's just not possible. He has designed it in a way that we would be a body. In fact, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says this in verse 6, I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Christ Jesus. And I've said this before, maybe you've not heard me say it, I wish they would translate the Bible and put some type of marking between you singular and you plural, because this is a you plural. And I know that we emphasize that you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And if you were the only one, Jesus would have still died on the cross. And, you know, that this is just for you as a person, that God's going to finish the work he started in you as an individual. And I'm not going to say that's not true. But we cannot, in our quest to have a personal relationship with Jesus, ever divorce that from the body. This is you plural. And if you, most of the scriptures that where Jesus is saying you or where the apostles are saying you, that's plural. And I know that we love to personalize that stuff, and I'm not going to tell you not to, but do not take for granted the fact that this thing is meant to be an us. And the reason is because God is an us. He is Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect unity. And he said to his body, 
Father, make them one just like you and I are one, and then the world will see that I came from the Father. Think about that for a second. I mean, we look around at our world and we're all complaining about how, like, oh, it's all terrible and no one wants to believe in Jesus. Well, maybe if we would just focus on being one with one another in the body of Christ, maybe that would be the difference. I mean, it was the only thing Jesus prayed for us. Just a thought. Okay. So we've talked about in the church matters, the commodities of the church. Um, Commodities of the church are not people. It's what we, the people, bring. So our giftings, our talents, our resources, our time, our energy, all of that was in the commodities. We talked about connection, that fellowship is a noun, not a verb. And that's important because it's not just something we do, it's who we are. We're connected. The Bible uses family language to show how connected we should be in the body of Christ. And that one of the easiest ways to help Keep connection is to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And we talked about that when we were outside at our picnic. And last week we talked about the ceiling of the church, that nothing is impossible through the power of God. Because of the spirit that lives within us, we are, he is able to accomplish immeasurably more than what we would ask or imagine by his power at work in us. Does God need any of us to accomplish his work? No. But he has chosen to have us partner with him to accomplish his work. And so that ceiling sometimes keeps us from experiencing the power of God, whether that be supernatural through signs and wonders and miracles, or whether that be supernatural through loving the person in the cubicle next to us or in the bed next to us, for goodness sake. I mean, sometimes it's hard to put this to practice in our lives, but the power of the Spirit is meant to not just be supernatural, but also to be practical and to really teach us how to live. Because holding our tongue and not giving people a piece of our mind is good, but the Bible doesn't call us to be passive. It actually says, don't just hold your tongue and not say something, but actually do good to those who hate you. Do good to them. Be proactive towards those. And we need the power of the Spirit to have that happen. Today, we're going to talk about culture. We're going to talk about culture. And culture is um, what makes us different as a church. Um, Culture doesn't mean, uh, different doesn't mean better. Different just means different. And some people get hung up on the fact that we have different denominations or different styles of churches and that that's not good, but it, it is okay that we have different styles of churches and different denominations. It's how we handle those differences that really make the difference. Because we don't all have to be in the same building to be unified or to be one in the body of Christ. But culture is really what drives a church. I mean, churches today have vision and we have mission and we have all of these things to try to, you know, and we have programs, but you can have the right vision You can have the right mission, you can have the right program, you can have the right budget, but if your culture is bad, you won't have life. Culture is what drives it. Culture is everywhere. Culture is not just in churches, it's in your home. I don't know if you know this, but they they say that all of our homes, we have a smell. Your home has a smell, and you become accustomed to your smell, so you don't know your smell. But other people, not a bad smell necessarily, but just a smell. And so when people come in your home, They smell your smell, but you don't know your smell because it's yours. Culture is much the same way. 
when people come into our family or they interact with our family for the first time or they start to get to know us, they can pick up on the culture pretty quick. When people come into a church, they can pick up on the culture. And those of us who have been here so long, we don't even see the culture anymore. And some of it's good and some of it's not good. And so new people in a workplace or in a restaurant, those are good ways to get feedback for, you know, hey, what's the culture of our, our lives? And as a church, we constantly try to delve into what our culture is. And we sometimes have people visit our church and specifically to help us know what our culture is. So they'll come here um, as spies, if you will, to help us see what we're doing well and what we could improve on, to help us know our smell and where that smell is bad and how it needs to get better because it needs to get better. We want it to get better. But culture can be spoken, it can be unspoken, it, we can be aware of it, we can be unaware of it. It's really the beliefs, the attitudes, the traditions, the practices, just the way we do things. And culture, whether at a church or whether in a home, is all of those things. The culture of your, our homes will always supersede what we tell our kids. So if you teach your kids truth, but the culture of your home is actually not living out that truth, they'll actually do what they see, not what they hear. And so parents, our children are great culture testers. Because when they start behaving certain ways, the first place you should look is at our own lives as parents. Because they pick up on stuff. And they start acting like us. I told you you're not supposed to do that. But you do it all the time. And so these are great litmus tests for, these, these, to, for understanding our culture. At Restoration Church, um, back in 2018, we, we started this process of changing our name from First Assembly of God to Restoration Church. And we really, as leaders, felt like God was putting this idea of restoration. It comes from 2 Corinthians 13.11 where the Apostle Paul says, strive for full restoration. And this idea that Jesus uh, wants to make all things new. In fact, the Bible says he does. He makes all things new. And yet there's an aspect of it where we have to receive that and we actually have to make the changes necessary to live that out or to make that show up in our lives. And so we, we wanted to be about restoration and striving for full restoration in every area of our lives. And Back in 2018, uh, I went public with 10 points of restoration specifically, and one was restoring people to God, salvation, the initial restoration, uh, restoration of relationships to really help marriages to be restored, friendships to be restored, learning to live unoffendable lives and not let bitter roots spring up. It's not okay in the body of Christ if we are, are, are both believers and we don't talk to each other, whether we're in the same physical family or we're just in the same church or whether we're in the same family of God, it's just not okay. And we can't just sit idly by and we've got to strive to make that better. We, as much as it depends upon me, I got to live at peace with all people and really striving for that. But also God put it on our hearts um, for people who have been hurt by church whether that's ministers that have walked away from church and maybe are no longer in ministry, to see them restored to ministry, that was a big part of relationships. Uh, of course, ministry to orphans, uh, widows, the marginalized. 
is a big part of that. James says that that's true religion. Uh, restoration for our city. Uh, from Jeremiah chapter 29, where the people of God in captivity were to work for the peace and prosperity of the city where God called them. That became a part of who we are. The restoration for small communities and church planning, believing that every community should have a life-giving church in it, that people shouldn't have to drive a long way, that we could have church campuses or we could have uh, even sovereign churches in every community in our state, that that would be a part of our goal. We talked about racial restoration back in 2018 before it became this hot topic political issue. We believed that we needed to be strategic in being a part of restoration with Native Americans, with the black population, with immigrants and foreigners and the way that we treat them in the body of Christ. It's not a political issue. It's a people issue. And it's a body of Christ issue, and the church ought to be leading the way in listening and learning and helping and bringing bridges together with people. We talked about class restoration and serving the poor. It's not the job of the government to serve the poor. It's the church's job to serve the poor. Gender restoration. That's mostly talking about the way women have been treated in the body of Christ. And over the last two years since we've started talking about this, the number of women that have come forward and exposed the type of abuse, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse that they have received in churches, big name people, it's just not okay. And then those women are not believed or they're made to be shamed because of that. That's not okay. And we want to be a church that makes sure we pull the lid off of that thing to bring restoration, not just for the victims, but even for the perpetrators. This isn't about shaming anyone. This is about bringing things to light and bringing full restoration for everybody. Denominational restoration and making sure we've come together as the body of Christ. And as a part of that conversation, we changed our logo to a table and in some ways, I still wonder why. I mean, I know why, but it's so hard to put into words. But the table is about becoming the kingdom community and putting that on display. It's about being able to listen and learn and love. In a world that is now polarized and is quick to speak, we want to be quick to listen. And in the same way that Jesus sat at meals with people that the religious community were like, what are you doing? You are actually showing value to sinners. Yeah, imagine that. And in some way, we want to bring that into our, mind, our, our mindset as a church. And that doesn't mean you always have to have a meal to value people. You can actually just value people by the way you interact with them on a regular basis. And we're going to actually talk a little bit about that today. And... In the midst of this, um, I read a book by a man by the name of Scott McKnight. And Scott McKnight wrote a book called Tove. And Tove is about creating a goodness culture. That word Tove is the word good as applied to God. We sang about it today. God is good. And if God is good and God lives in us by the person of His Holy Spirit, then our culture ought to be good. And in that book, he pulls out some, some ideas and some ways that churches can actually strive to create this type of culture. And here's a quote from that book. Any church that claims connection to Jesus and any church that wants to follow Jesus absolutely must have a heart for the wounded and the marginalized. Sadly, many churches lack empathy and therefore lack compassion. 
Churches that follow Jesus don't simply take up a cause for one specific group. They develop a culture in which they hear the cries of all the distressed, all the wounded, and respond with compassion. Now, I'm fully aware of the new conversation that we're having in the evangelical world about the sin of empathy, which I'll just go on record as saying I think is a hoax. It's just a way for us to divide the body of Christ. I mean, the word empathy, I get what they're saying. Jesus Christ empathized with us. He came in flesh. He came in human form so that he could could understand our weakness. And we just don't want to listen to people and we don't want to value people. And we're looking for ways to just, it's just, it's crazy what's happening in our world today, in our church world, in our church culture. We need to be a people that hear the cries of others and respond to it. And that's what restoration is all about. But that's not going to happen in our lives if our culture of our church and the culture of our homes and the culture of our individual lives is poor. If you think of the parable that Jesus told about the soils, there were four different types soil, you remember? And they all received the word. Same word, same message. But the culture of those soils determined how much growth happened. So again, you could the message could be perfect. The programs could be perfect. The doctrine can be perfect. It can all be perfect. But if the culture, the way we are living in our day-to-day lives, the way we are interacting with each other, If that's off, there won't be fruit, or there won't be a lot of fruit. And so today, I really, as we, as I I knew I wanted to talk about culture, because culture is important, and I've preached on this many times, but I wanted to, uh, three words came to mind, and I want to give you just three words today that we really need to put into our hearts as an individual so that it becomes a part of our individual culture around me, so that it becomes a part of my home, so that it becomes a part of where I work, so that it becomes a part of our our church body. Because this culture isn't made up of just the, the leaders of this culture, although leaders, we drive it, and we have more responsibility in it, but it's all of us. And so just three words that came to my mind, and um, they're not new words. If you've been here for any length of time, none of these will be new. And they all start with the letter H, which I didn't plan, but they're, they're really the core values of my life. Now, that doesn't mean that that's, this is a, a, how I live in every situation, but these are the benchmarks that I always strive for. And... You know, I actually learned this through conversations with other people um, because I wrestled for a long time with saying, hey, these are core values of my life. This is what I, um, but I had conversations with friends who confront me about issues and actually um, share good things with me too because if you have friends that just confront you, um, you need friends that also encourage you and say, hey, I see this in your life. Wow, that's a gifting. Um, and so these three words have just been a part of our church uh, because they're a part of me. And as the lead pastor of this church, it just becomes uh, or should become who we are. The first word 
if you're taking notes, you can write it down. It's not on the screen, but it's an easy one, is hope. Hope. I want to challenge you to stay in a place of hope. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is certainty. It's assurance. And it's not based on any circumstance of my life. It's based on the God who is in charge of it all. Because no matter what happens in my individual life, no matter what happens in my family, no matter what happens in our world, no matter even the mistakes I make, there's still a God who's over all. And that's where my hope rests. And if I have God living in me, I ought to be far more hopeful than people who do not. My reactions, my life, the words that come out of my mouth about people and towards people and to people, and as I talk about my circumstances, they ought to be filled with hope. People ought to walk away from a conversation with me feeling like they've, they've been infused with hope, not with, ugh. Romans chapter 4, verse 18 Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Even when there was no reason for hope. So wherever you are, wherever your marriage is today, wherever your work situation is today, whatever is happening in your life, whatever you think about the chaos in our world right now, there is hope. Even when there's no reason for hope. We hope. Amen. And hoping is not just idle. It's not just sitting there doing nothing, saying, okay, Jesus, come back any day now, because our hope is just Jesus coming back. No! Our hope is in the power of the gospel. Our hope is in the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in our lives to strive now for full restoration. That's our hope. If you, if you talk about your workplace in hopeless language, you need to get in the prayer closet and get infused with hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope! If you're talking about the political scene in America right now with hopelessness or with cynicism or being jaded, you need to get somewhere where God fills you with hope. God is not in heaven today going like this saying, oh my goodness, have you seen what's happening down there? I don't know what to do. Nope. Doesn't even have to adjust his plan. And he should fill us with that same confident hope. Does that mean we shouldn't speak about issues? No, we should, but we should speak with hope. Does that mean we shouldn't do things to make changes? No, we should, but we should do it with hope. Not with frustration, not with anger, not with bitterness, not jaded, not cynical. Hope. Hope that God is at work. Hope. I can trust the story God is writing for my life. I don't like what's going on in my life right now. I don't like what other people are doing in my life right now. I don't even like the way my work is going right now. But I have hope. God is in control of me. 
Nothing passes through my life that does not pass through his hands. <coughs> when Jesus was about to leave, in John chapter 14, this one's not on the screen, in John chapter 15, verse 1, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. John 14, 1. Do not let your heart be thrown into confusion or disarray. No matter what's going on, I promise you this, you have not been abandoned. Get hope. If you're like, oh, I'm just so hopeless, then call someone on the phone and say, I am overwhelmed with hopeless. I need you to pray with me. Pray that I would be infused with hope. Admit it. Don't just pretend. I mean, I'm not talking about walking around saying, I have hope. I have hope. No, get in the prayer closet. Get there with a friend and get overflowing hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because our language shows it. Oh, I have hope in the return of Jesus. And then we're like, blah, to people. No, we want to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? We sang this today. Since He did not spare even His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, won't He give us everything else? I'm convinced nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not fears for today, not worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell, or president, or congress, or governor, or local, or teacher. Nobody, nobody, I can have hope no matter what. Praise God, that's good. Okay, here's your second word. Honor. Honor. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Some versions say honor one another above yourself. Honor is about value. Honor. Jesus honored us while we were his enemies. And he did it by demonstrating our value by coming to this earth to show us the way to the Father, to be restored to the Father, and to bring life to us. That was honor. That's how he treated us. In Romans chapter 13, verse 7, Paul says, Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and your government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. It doesn't clarify and say, go give respect and honor to those that you deem worthy of honor. It says, give it to everyone who's in authority. Why is that? Because God's in charge of my story. And if there's someone in authority over me, whether it's a boss at work, whether it's a teacher at school, whether it's a coach on my team or my kid's team, or whether it's our mayor or whether it's the, the president of the United States, I, if someone's in authority over us, God's in charge of my story. And I can honor every single person that's in authority over me. I can disagree honorably. There is a way. I can actually work to, to fight against a policy in my workplace, to fight against a policy in our nation, to fight against a policy in our school, and I can do it in an honorable way. I can do it the way that Jesus did. And I know that we love to go to the Pharisees and we're like, well, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, so we should be able to call people whitewashed tombs. Be careful to take the whole Bible in context before we start calling people names and devaluing them and dehonoring them. Because we have a generation today that has no respect and no value for the older generation. Where did they learn it? 
Yeah, that was an uncomfortable laugh. They learned it from us because we model it. On late night TV, we mock everybody. On TV shows, we mock. We go home and we talk about our boss and we devalue, 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 but we tell our kids, hey, honor. Honor is a weapon. The first commandment in the Bible with a promise, honor your father and mother. Because it's a weapon. It's a powerful weapon. How we treat people matters. Honor. Romans, let me ask you this question before I give you that. How many of you believe prayer is a powerful weapon? Not a trick question. You believe prayer is a powerful weapon. I do too. Prayer, pray. If I asked you, how many believe honor and doing good to others is just as powerful as prayer? I would guess that some of us would not think that. We would think prayer is more powerful. And yet we have scriptures like Romans chapter 12, verse 21, that says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Conquer evil by doing good. I'm not saying prayer is not important and vital. It is. But being good to those who hate us, doing good to them, is actually a weapon. Jesus didn't just do it, say it, just because he wanted to try to like do it's the nature of our father this is what he does because by the way there is no one good except god and yet he does good to us and that's what he wants from us in in colossians chapter 2 he meaning christ disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities how did he do it well by his victory over the cross he laid his life down and yet somehow we think that he laid his life down and he got overwhelming victory, but for us, we need to take up our arms and fight. No, we, we need to lay our lives down. Do you know how many churches around the world are there in countries of the world right now because someone was willing to shed their blood? It's a weapon. There are some countries of the world today where there would not be a church if someone had not been willing to lay their life down. It's a spiritual weapon honor when i'm dishonored and i honor in return i am doing battle if i dishonor in retaliation i'm agreeing with the prince the princes principalities and powers of this world and i'm strengthening those first peter 221 god called you to do good even if it means suffering just as christ suffered for you his he is your example you must follow in his steps. When he was accused, he didn't retaliate. And at the end of that passage, do you know what he says? Oh, and by the way, by his wounds, you have been healed. Man, God is not just trying to get you to honor because, I mean, you, God is going to do things in your life as you learn to honor people, especially those who are not honorable. And he is actually going to use that to open up their hearts to the kingdom. It's a powerful weapon. Trust Trust the word. Don't trust me. The third word is humility. Humility. Humility, I believe, starts in our identity in Christ. It's where we come to the place where we get our view of ourselves through Him. We have a correct understanding of who we are apart from Him and a correct understanding of who we are in Him. That we can't do anything by ourselves. We would all say that. Oh, I can't. Oh, I can't do anything apart from my connection to Christ. And yet sometimes we go days without being connected to Christ or without asking him to intervene in our lives. And so saying it doesn't mean it's true. Is the culture of my life one where I recognize my dependence upon him? 
and I'm actually rooted in that and grounded in that? Am I teachable? Do I believe that there's growth that's needed in my life? Am I looking for change in some area of our lives? Uh, it feels like a lot of our messages today are about like how bad the world is and not really about what needs to change in our lives. I mean, yeah, the world is bad. They don't have Jesus. They sin. Imagine that. They sin apart from Jesus. But how are we called to be light in the midst of it? How are we called to lay down our lives for them so they can see it? How are we called to live in unity with one another so that the world sees it? That's the humility that Jesus came to model for us. Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourselves. Don't look to your own interest, but to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humility. A great litmus test for humility for us is, you know, when I'm presented with an idea that I disagree with, do I instantly go into mode of correction of why that person is wrong? Or do I first look at myself and say, do I need to learn something? And a lot of times we look at people that, I mean, because they're not as spiritual as me, then I, I can't learn from them. And yet in the scripture, even a donkey spoke. So don't just rush into that person's wrong. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. That's humility. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. That could change the world right there. Put that on a bumper sticker. Nobody wants to be wrong anymore. Nobody wants to lay down our lives. We want to be right. Wayne Cordero is a pastor in Hawaii, God bless him, and he's written a lot of books on church leadership, but he's also written a lot about um, just the struggle of leadership, the internal struggles and the internal struggles of believers. And he's written a book called Sifted, where we can learn that God uses the difficulties in our lives to sift us the way that Jesus said to Peter, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you, Peter, so that after... <laughs> After you turn back, I love it. Jesus is like, you're going to fail, but after you turn back, boom, I prayed for you that you're going to turn back. I, I just, that's such a great thing. But in his quote, he's talking about being involved in um, a, a community of believers. And this is the quote that he gave in that meeting. He says, the reason why there is so much antagonism among the leadership of this community is that no one is willing to die. I'm asking that you not use any defense. Be silent. Receive what they say and die instead. There will be no victory until someone willingly chooses to die instead of win. Our encouragement is that rather than fighting this season of sifting, you learn the language of God, that you cooperate with what He is doing. Keep pressing the weight that you are holding even though you may feel like quitting. God has promised to give you just enough assistance to lift the weight 
while still building the necessary depth of character and strength that he intends to develop in you. God will do something through you when you first allow him to do something in you. Can I tell you that God is in control of who's in the cubicle next to you at work? God is in control of who's over you and over your children right now. And God is working in you even as he works through you to maybe bring correction to someone else. Don't ever forget that. That that person in, that's in my life that maybe I see the need to correct them, they're not there just so I can correct them. They're there to bring correction to me just as much. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the type of humility that the Word of God is saying. And the last part of that, humility recognizes community. It recognizes the body of Christ. The great sin of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul is going through all of this list of sins to the Corinthian church, and the one that he says, I have nothing good to say about you in this. They were not recognizing the body of Christ. And that has nothing to do with the bread and the wine of communion. It has everything to do with how they were treating each other in the body of Christ, especially the poor and the marginalized and the lower class that was not able to be full partakers in their feast together. If you're not recognizing the body of Christ, it's a great sin in the body of Christ. That's humility. I, I personally believe, I could be wrong, that God will not reveal everything we need directly to us individually. I'll say it again. I believe that God will not reveal everything we need directly to us individually. Because as I said earlier, God wants an us. And he'll reveal some things to us individually, absolutely. We can grow in our relationship with God. We do not need other people to grow individually. But if we're going to ever accomplish the fullness of what God has in store, it will always require an us. And humility is necessary for there to be an us. Because it's going to make us be at a table with people that we don't see eye to eye with on every issue, that we don't agree with on every issue, but we're going to find a way to stay together and maintain the unity of the Spirit in spite of those things. And that's humility. Culture is powerful. It's powerful in our lives. It's powerful in our homes. It's powerful in our work. It's powerful in our church. And the culture of our church is going to be formed by each and every one of us. I love our mission. I love our vision. I love our core values. But it's all going to rise and fall on the day-to-day expressions and thought patterns that are shaped by culture. Let me encourage you to stay in hope, to get in the Word, to receive from the Spirit, to trust the story, to overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. Honor everyone, period. It's as powerful as prayer. When you're tempted to dishonor, Look for the the life of God in that person. Every human being was created in the image of God. Every single one of them. Even the ones that are the most dishonorable and hard to see, that image is there. Honor them. Value them. And live in humility. Get your validation from the Word, from the Spirit of God, not from the people around you. Learn to listen. Learn to love. Learn to connect. Learn to grow and recognize the body of Christ.
And so, Father, I pray today for grace on our lives. Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be more aware of the culture of our own lives. Your word says that our hearts are desperately wicked. They're deceitful. That we can actually hear your word. We can actually preach your word. And yet not be putting it into practice in our lives. We can deceive ourselves. And so, Holy Spirit, we want to know the culture of our lives today. And we want to we develop a better culture. God, I know that every single one of us that's in this room, that's watching online right now, that there are areas of our lives where our culture needs to improve. And so, Holy Spirit, show us those right now. Begin to pinpoint. where there needs to be hope. Show us where there's been bitterness, cynicism, anger, frustration, despair, hopelessness, worry. And Holy Spirit, we lay those things in front of you today and we say these, these have no place in our lives. As citizens of your kingdom, people filled with your spirit, we need to overflow with hope. Even in the hardest moments of our lives, Holy Spirit, help us to look to you for hope. To not be content. To retaliate, to react, to wring our hands. But let our words be filled with hope. Let our thoughts be filled with hope. Holy Spirit, breathe hope into people's hearts today. Those that are being overwhelmed right now by the problems in their lives, by a diagnosis from a doctor, by a relationship that just seems hopeless. God, even against all hope, would you breathe hope into their hearts right now? Holy Spirit, give us grace to honor. To honor those that are created in your image. To honor those that we work with that have frustrated us in the past. To honor those who serve us. God, whether the, the people in this room right now that give us sound to be able to hear or run the live stream so that we can watch people that are going to serve us in a restaurant later today. God, for our police officers and our first responders, the people that serve us, God, help us to honor in the things that we say and in the things that we do. Help us not to be critical towards those that are in authority over us, but God, help us to look for ways to speak well of them. God, to not just go to our boss when, when we've got a complaint but God, to thank them for serving. Even if we don't think they're doing one thing right, teach us to honor. Holy Spirit, help us to humble ourselves. Your word is clear that you draw near to the humble. You give great grace to the humble, but you 
you are opposed to the proud. Help us not to miss even the subtle areas of pride in our life. Expose them. In every way, expose them. So, Holy Spirit, for the areas in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, where there's some weeds, help us to see them and pull those things up. Where there are thorns that are choking out the fruitfulness of your word, help us to cut those things off. Where there are rocks that need to be removed, rocks of mindsets or opinions that need to be pulled out of the garden of our hearts. Holy Spirit, do a deep work in our lives right now. And over these next few hours, these next few days, continue to bring back to our mind these things that we've heard. Help us to meditate on these scriptures, to meditate upon your word. And may these things take such deep root in our lives that it begins to transform the culture around us culture of our work, the culture of our home, the culture of our school, the culture of our church, the culture of our community, the culture of our state, our nation, and our world. There's nothing impossible for you. God, don't let us put a ceiling on this moment, but to know that you have called us to make a difference where you've planted us. And so we trust you We love you, and we want to cooperate fully with your work. Father, over this congregation now today, I just pray your blessing. God, would you bless them and keep them? Would you cause your face to shine on them? Would you lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace? And Lord, would you be gracious? them in every way. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here with us today, and uh, 